Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so happy you're joining us. This is episode 87. Uh, we are recording this August 9th, 2020, at about 3 o'clock Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Zach, you were texting me this week about some of the great basketball that's being played in the NBA. I never thought great and NBA basketball could be said in the same sentence anymore, but... Uh, yeah, I texted you. I thought uh, that Clippers-Blazers game was the first edge-of-your-seat live sports moment. Maybe since the uh, the Madden um, 2020 finals with, uh, you know, the fat guy from Philadelphia versus the fat guy from uh, Miami. I don't know. Um, but, uh, no, that was genuinely exciting. The juggernaut that is the Portland Trailblazers, Char- Charles Barkley's predicted uh, NBA champion, is pretty exciting. Um, I feel like everyone is already uh, stoked about a Trailblazers. Um, T.J. Warren led Indiana Pacers final. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I mean, they're they're playing well. I, I'm just impressed that every game since they've been back has felt like the playoffs. Like already, it feels like the playoffs. And uh, and yeah, I was thinking like at at first I was watching like matinee basketball in the middle of the week. I'm like, this is the closest thing to March Madness we're gonna get this year. So I was all all over that and into it. Uh, Todd, what have you been uh, what have you been watching closely sports wise? Uh, well, I mean the PGA Championship is going on right now, so I have that like a foot away from me. <laughs> I I may have the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean it's at the moment it's pretty exciting. There there's a whole bunch of people lined up like right with like one shot off the lead. So it's been it's been a fun tournament. It definitely has. Zach, have you been catching up on the uh, on the uh, great action on the golf course? Uh, no, I have not. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I, I I knew that answer before I said it. I just I just had to throw it out there. Um, Zach, what are you drinking? I am drinking out of California, the Red Loon Smoking Loon Red Wine Blend, a.k.a. the cheapest wine they had available at uh, my local liquor store. And, um, you know, it's because of the movie we're, we're talking about today that I felt like I needed to take it up a notch with my alcohol uh, content level. And, um, yeah, let's see how fun this goes. I'll be, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a smoking loon. Pee Wee Herman is a smoking loon. <laughs> but he's a loon maybe not smoking he's, he's, he's a loon he's a loon uh, I, I bet in that red blend I bet there's some Merlot just throwing that out there yeah we're not going to talk about that yeah, yeah. M- move on alright yep yeah. Todd what are you drinking well the movie is about a guy and his vehicle so I am drinking out of a Georgetown brewery the Lucille Pale Ale India Pale Ale because I named my car Lucille and uh, it's my, one of my favorite beers. <laughs> so cheers. It's a great call. That's a great call. Has Todd ever had a beer on this well, yeah, podcast? Yeah, we, we are talking about Pee Wee today. It's, it's been, been a while. while. He has he has it every now and then. So yeah, we're talking about Pee Wee. Pee Wee's a big kid. So um, 
I, I gotta shout out my wife for, for finding this one. She's the one that actually is does the grocery shopping right now. Um, this is Laurelwood Laurelwood Brewery in Portland. It's their uh, Kids These Days Hazy IPA. And the can is just chocked full of... It's more 90s nostalgia than 80s. But, I mean, you've got an Elmo on here. You've got a Tamagotchi, a Super Soaker, a Magic 8-Ball, Lava Lamp, Pac-Man... Um, a Pokeball, a Furby, it's pretty great. So, and it's good beer too. That, that helps, that helps also. Alright, so yeah, we, we've already mentioned uh, several times, we're going to be uh, deep diving some, uh, some Pee-wee Herman and talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, which is, just celebrated its 35th anniversary. Uh, we're also going to be uh, reviewing a brand new movie. I think it might be the first HBO Max exclusive original, and that that's what we're going to be reviewing uh, as our featured review. But first, Zach, what have you been watching? Okay, so I got a couple of movies to, to talk about this week. Uh, uh, so um, I had a bitter taste in my mouth after last week with the Santa Fe Trail. I said it was one of the worst movies of the 40s, maybe one of the worst movies I'd ever seen. So I remedied that by watching a great movie from 1940, at least a movie that got a lot of Oscar recognition and attention and is a movie that was an oversight on, on my list, and that was The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, directed by John Ford, starring Henry Fonda. Um, at one point, this was considered like one of the greatest American movies ever made, but I feel like it's kind of fallen out of favor for whatever reason. I read the book in high school. I don't know why teachers assign books like that in high school, because it went totally over my head. However, the movie was so good that it actually made me want to reread the book You know, 15 years later. Um, it stars Henry Fonda as Tom Joad, who's just been released from prison um, in the 19, early 1930s in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. And uh, his family is pretty destitute. They have to give up their farm. And in search of work, in desperate search of work, they all pile in the family uh, vehicle and they somehow make it out to California where they try to get a job as um, basically fruit pickers. And the movie kind of portrays this discrimination that they come across as laborers, but also poor Okies. And uh, I think the movie holds up extremely well. I mean, it is a gritty, realistic movie that does not glamorize or romanticize their plight at all. And that way it's very different from a lot of 30s movies, especially a movie that wouldn't, that's not a pre-code movie. Um, for me, it's an easy four stars. It's a riveting movie that um, obviously has a pretty strong pro-leftist, pro-Roosevelt agenda to it. I don't think it's too heavy-handed, though, and I think the acting, in particular, the Academy Award-winning performance by Jane Darwell as Ma Jode and Henry Fonda is is sublime. So that is, that's a must-see. Um, then the other movie I want to quickly talk about uh, is a documentary I watched that currently has 67 views on IMDb. It's a documentary from 2009 called 9500 Liberty, and it's actually available on YouTube, and it's a movie that I've never seen another movie more eerily, uncannily predict the rise of Donald Trump than this movie. It doesn't mention Donald Trump by name, but it's it's a look at uh, Prince William County, Virginia in 2007 adopted basically a sort of stop and frisk policy that the police were able to pull over anyone that they thought was an illegal immigrant. And so it's all about this kind of small, uh, mostly white community that's experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of um, Hispanic growth in the Hispanic population. 
And uh, it's really just about how like this online uh, blogger comes from this kind of alt-right perspective, basically is an agitator and gets the concerned white citizens uh, freaked out and they go to the city council meetings and they, they pass this pretty heinously racist um, act that actually requires a tax increase and a lot of demands uh, placed on the police department. It's a fascinating documentary that I could talk uh, probably about for hours, but I will just leave it there. It, I think it, it eerily predicts the rise of kind of alt-right online uh, nativist movements, and uh, it's a four-star documentary. It's absolutely fabulous. Uh, it's directed by uh, Eric Byler and Annabelle Park, um, who kind of have a fly-on-the-wall approach to it. A lot of it takes place at these city council meetings. And um, it's if you want to know if you want to see a movie that predicts America as it is now in 2020, uh, watch this movie. Nice, nice. Now the real question I wanted to ask you of what have you watched this week is: Did you see the trailer for the new Kevin Wilmot movie that just came out? Uh, I have not watched it yet. I heard that it dropped. But uh, yes, you texted me about it, and uh, it's it's pretty exciting. It's all over people I follow on social media. It's 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 pretty pretty exciting. Now, the, did you help at all with this one? I did not help, believe it or not. No, I didn't really help with Jayhawkers either. I'd like to pretend that I did, but uh, I can just kind of point out all the people that I know. So uh, it makes it fun. Sorry, have either of you seen the Grapes of Wrath? By the way, I just need to ask that because it's, I it, have not. It's a classic movie. Have you seen it, Todd? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay, what do you think of it? Do you think it holds up well based on what you remember yeah i'm i mean i'm not I, I it's not my number one of 1940 or anything but i mean i i think the movie is really good it is a really like yeah gritty depressing movie about the depression which i guess is the way it's designed and i mean inspired you know sylvan's travels which uh which is always a good thing too what is your number one in 1940 I, oh, Rebecca is clearly the the best movie in 1940. Mm. It's a top 25 movie of all time. Okay. Rebecca is a classic. I moved this one to my number one in 1940, but but Rebecca is of course uh, one of the great movies of that era too. So, no harm, no foul. All right, I'm gonna go next with what I've been watching. So uh, last week, um, so I've been doing my anniversary watches, and I made a list at the beginning of the year of all the movies I wanted to watch. I was like, hey. I'm going to watch one a week, and I am I got excited last week. I was like, hey, I'm halfway through my list, and then I realized, oh, no, we are more than halfway through the year. So uh, I had I watched two this week off my anniversary list uh, to knock a couple out, um, and I'm going to talk about both of them. Uh, one was mediocre. One was pretty good. Uh, the first one is the mediocre one from 2000. It uh, won Best Sound Editing, was nominated for Best Sound, uh, something that can't happen anymore since those two categories are now one. Uh, this is the movie U571, uh, directed by Jonathan Mostow, uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, Harvey Keitel, John Bon Jovi, for some wow. reason. Uh, Smalls from Sandlot is in there, too. Um, and yeah, he, play, he plays a scared, you know, like, 18-year-old kid named Trigger. I don't know why that, I mean, it's just, of course there's going to be a kid in a World War II movie named Trigger. Um, anyways... Uh, it's about a, um, a German U-boat who that gets um, crippled and uh, an American crew uh, that goes to infiltrate it and try to um, to steal their uh, German Enigma code uh, coding machine to try and break the code. Um, it uh, the action is pretty cool. 
Uh, the performances are a little overblown. It, it's weird seeing Harvey Keitel in something like this. It, he kind of didn't fit. Uh, this is before McConaughey realized that he could act, and uh, and it kind of shows it here a little bit. Um, the worst part of the movie is by far the score. The score is just kind of it 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 reeks of like um, mid '90s generic action film, and when just as simply simply a better score could have made it a better movie. Um, but I mean, it, it keeps you on the edge of your seat a little bit as it's uh, as it's navigating through and uh, and uh, trying to avoid uh, detection as it as it goes through its mission. Um, and and McConaughey, do, I mean, he does all right, but nowhere near the heights that he he reached um, in the what twenty years after it. So uh, I'm giving it two stars. It, it's an okay movie. It's not it's not great, um, but uh, yeah. Have either of you guys seen U571? I have not. Yeah, I, I think I noticed that both of the movies I watched this week were ones that had none of us had watched and weren't on the website yet. So that was kind of exciting that I got to add to our uh, to our Oscar nominee portfolio. Uh, anyway, so U571 was one of them. The other one was a nominee of, for Best Documentary in 2010. So it's celebrating 10-year anniversary, and that is Gasland. Uh, written and directed by Josh Fox, and it explores the um, the uh, controversial uh, technique of um, of fracking to uh, mine for natural gas, and how it has polluted underground water sources, and how uh, energy companies refuse to take responsibility for it, and how um, the Bush administration, especially Dick Cheney. Uh, helped loosen regulations so that they could do it without any, um, without any accountability, um, and uh, and be able to to get away with it. And he, uh, Josh Fox, is a guy who uh, who lived and grew up in the Catskills in upstate New York, and he makes this documentary because it's starting to affect his community. Um, and uh, it is it is a fascinating community, uh, or sorry, fascinating documentary uh, about this. Um, the story he goes around the country visiting different places where fracking is is uh, prevalent and talks with people who are constantly sick because their tap water is no good. Um, he watches several people light their tap water on fire because natural gases and chemicals have been mixed into it from the fracking process. Um, it uh, it's fascinating to see what uh, everything that it, uh, is happening and how nothing really is being done about it at the same time. And, uh, and yeah, fascinating, fascinating documentary, three and a half stars. And I, I think I'm right. No one, neither of you have seen this, right? Correct. No. Uh, definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, just to kind of see some of the, some of the environmental stuff that's happening out there. And, uh, and from what I can tell, it looks like it's still fairly unchecked. So, uh, yeah, people literally lighting the water, coming out of their faucets on fire it's 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 insane um so those were my uh those were my two movies that i wanted to report on todd what'd you watch okay i watched uh a 2020 release by andrew on who goes by his stage name rap man and it is called blue story and it's adapted from his own youtube series and this is the best movie of 2020 uh, it's about these guys named Timmy and Marco who are teenage best friends who live in these rival towns of Peckham and Deptford in, uh, in London. And they, they go to school together, 
and they're best friends, but they're on opposite sides of the track, so uh, their mentors and their family are all part of the gangs, and the, then a gang war starts happening, and it escalates, and they have to kind of choose sides. It's sort of a classic story of, you know, jets and sharks or whatever, but it is this, like, 90-minute assault on your emotions and your senses that I haven't felt since I watched Uncut Gems for the first time. I mean, it could have been Chicago, it could have been L.A. or Baltimore, like, uh, the Wire is actually the closest thing I, I've seen to the to this kind of feel of, of like a, a gang war or like this is England maybe and that's also set in the UK. But uh, what makes it interesting is like there's these stylistic choices like there are rap songs that uh, that connect every act of the movie and it's not just like a transition it actually like fills you in on the blanks of what happened between them and it sounds kind of dumb but when you actually watch it it's done with so much passion and originality that it never lowers the intensity level, and, uh, I don't know, I mean, w one thing I will say, I mean, it's a four-star movie for sure, but one thing I will say is turn on the subtitles, unless you're, like, fluent in South London, like, slang, uh, then, uh, you, you're gonna need it, because, like, the dialogue whips by really fast, and you're gonna miss something, and, and you don't want to, because it is an amazing movie, it's called Blue Story. I think it's on Epics, is where I watched it. Alright. That, that does sound interesting. Cool. So it sounds like Chirac meets Fish Tank. No? I I mean... <laughs> Bad comparison. I, got, I I mean, I can see where you're coming from, but that, that's not what I would say. <laughs> well, you're the one who's seen it. <laughs> I've only known about it for the last three minutes, so... It does sound really cool, though. Yeah. I got, uh, it, yeah, it's uh, adapted from a YouTube series by a guy who goes by his stage name, and it is... The best movie I've seen this year. I thought I, I was I was as shocked as uh, as as it kind of sounds as shocking. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is this like the first? This must be the first great movie that was adapted from a YouTube series. I mean, is that going to start being a thing now? It w I wouldn't shock me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's what we've been watching. Now let's get into our featured review. And for that featured review, we are looking at, like I said, it is, it, it has to be, right? The first HBO Max original. Um, it is exclusively on HBO Max. And that is An American Pickle. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American Dream. I find good job in Pickle Factory. Sarah, I make this vow. 100 years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. Uh, this was written by Simon Rich, directed by Brandon Trost, uh, and it stars Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen. Uh, and really, everybody else has kind of like one-minute bit parts, so it's really him carrying the entire movie talking to himself. Uh, this is the story of Herschel Greenbaum, who uh, 100 years ago was working in a pickle factory trying to make some money so his family could be successful as a, uh, as a Jewish immigrant in Brooklyn. Uh, he is working in this pickle factory killing rats. One day he falls into a pickle vat, and without anybody realizing it, the vat gets um, closed up, the warehouse gets condemned, and a uh, hundred years later, he emerges and has been completely preserved by the pickling. He is a pickle himself, and uh, is walking among uh, people today in New York City. 
and uh, and so you've got the, the whole fish out of water thing of uh, a man from a hundred years ago dropped into twenty twenty, and what's again what's going to happen? He finds out that he has one living relative. It is a great grandson named Ben, also played by Seth Rogen, <clears throat> and uh, he works or he lives with him. He gets to know him. He goes through a whole bunch of different things. They kind of have a falling out. They uh, they work, um, or he works to, like, get revenge against him. Um, he, he was hoping his family would be strong and successful, and Ben is a is an app developer that has never sold anything before. Uh, so, anyways, kind of chaos ensues. Um, a couple things I will say about this. This is, by far, the best I've ever seen Seth Rogen. And I think I think this is one of the first times where if you're looking at you're looking at him, you know, talking with himself, it's one of the first times that you see um, him actually show some acting chops. And uh, he th he shows it through both characters really well, I think. Um, and maybe it's the dichotomy of seeing these two complete opposite people that he's playing interact with each other. But um, that can't be hard to do is is act with yourself and play off what's coming at you from, from, you know, another take where you're playing the other guy. Um, so this is by far the best I've seen Seth Rogen. Second, uh, this movie felt like, uh, it's based off of a short story, but I would say it felt like someone had the idea and it's like, Hey, what if a guy fell into a pickle vat and woke up a hundred years later, like go full on Rip Van Winkle this. And like, that sounds awesome. What's going to happen? I don't know. We'll figure it out later. That's kind of what it felt like of it, it. The rest of the movie, as it was working through different stuff as he, you know, tries to start a pickle empire because it's the only thing he knows. It, it feels kind of thrown together and kind of meanders. I feel like it would have been a great, like, half hour 45 minute short story or, or short film um but once you make it in trying to extend it out it's like oh man how are we going to fill out a full feature length film and it adds a whole bunch of stuff and it kind of meanders um i with that said i still kind of i still enjoyed it i found parts of it really funny i found parts of it fairly moving it just really didn't know where it was going i'm giving it two and a half stars um and uh yeah i mean it's it's a solid watch but um, yeah, kind of all over the place at times too, and not really knowing what it wants to do. All right, uh, we're gonna go to Todd next. Todd, what'd you think of an American pickle? Uh, I agree with almost everything you said. I like I, I agree the the story sounds. I mean, this like the premise basically is kind of dumb, and it should have been a short story. I was thinking the exact same thing, and the opening sequence almost should have been like a silent movie kind of thing. It it felt pretty experimental and, and stuff, especially with the narration. But uh, it, it definitely didn't have enough to expand into the movie it eventually did. Because when we get to present day, I don't think we need two Rogans. Like, I mean, like, I thought it would have been better if, if he didn't have a guide. If it was more like Look Who's Back, which was this movie I liked from a few years ago where Hitler wakes up in, like, modern-day Berlin and he's just, like, a fish out of water completely. I, I thought that would have been a lot more interesting than having somebody who's actually who actually almost half-trusts when he gets there. But at, at the same time, Rogan definitely is... The furthest step out that he's had since he was in Take This Waltz. I, I mean, it's the first time that he had an accent that didn't just sound like Rogan being Rogan. My, my favorite of his performance is probably Funny People, but this is right up there. He is, he is pretty awesome in this. 
But I, I, I feel like the movie also has this, like, failure to develop consistency in its characters. Because, like, right when uh, Herschel gets there, like, he has a hard time even, like, speaking English. But then Ben, and Ben even says, like, you know, I don't even know if he can read or not. But then, like, a couple scenes later, he's using, like, complete American slang, like, idiot and stuff like that. That, that, that as if he had been saying that word for a hundred years. I, I, it has these, like, creative components it brings in with, like, the social media stuff and how he's, like, an online martyr and stuff like that. But the formulaic story makes it too few, uh, too few and far between in that kind of thing. There's also way too much slapstick. Like, I, I, there's, like, insight <coughs> and satire, but the slapstick humor just completely takes away from it. I, I think my favorite part was that, like, random, like, Charlie Rose-style segment. Like, I thought that was really funny, where he's like, I, I don't even know what that word means. I don't even know what's going on in this room. And and it was like, it was like he was some, like, misunderstood genius. I thought it was pretty funny, but... It's like the weirdest, like, sincere whack-job comedy I've seen in a long time. It's a two-and-a-half-star movie, for sure. I just wish it was more focused and more polished, and I, I think a more experienced director might have done that. Maybe even if Rogan had directed it himself, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed parts of it, but uh, and at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm a little let down. Yeah, I think you could also have, and, and this can go both ways, but I think it's, it's dangerous to have someone adapt their own piece of work to, like, like the, the guy who wrote this, um, Simon Rich is the one that wrote the short story as well, and sometimes it's better to get a fresh set of eyes on a story than have someone adapt their own previous work. I don't know. Zach, what'd you think? All right. Well, I mean, I'm right there with both of you. Can we say this is like thrice mediocritized or something like that? I, I, I don't know. That's, if that's what a we're word. going with. Okay. Thrice fine. mediocritized. Thrice mediocritized <laughs> because I also give this movie two and a half stars. Although I will say, I think I'm a little less enthusiastic about it than you are, Terry. I, I think I'm actually closer to two stars and three stars on it. Um, I will say I love the kind of what Todd was saying. I love the first ten minutes of this movie. I was totally engrossed. I wanted to see what was going to happen. I love Seth, I love serious Seth Rogen. Uh, take this waltz. He's great. Steve, he's the best part of Steve Jobs. Like this guy is a really good actor. Um, he can play serious roles. Uh, his accent is great in this movie. Um, I agree with Todd. We didn't really need that dop the the doppelganger. We didn't need the the app developer character um, re- because it does feel like a gimmick at some point. And it doesn't really feel organic. It feels kind of like a forced sort of uh, slapstick comic situation that doesn't... It kind of makes the story feel really jarring, too. Um, first minutes though, were great. I, I wanted the, the story to stay in the 20s. I wanted this to be like The Immigrant or, you know, some movie about uh, an immigrant trying to adjust to New York. The time travel thing feels right out of, like, uh, every single Marvel movie ever made. Um, I feel like that's overdone. I also feel like this is a movie that Woody Allen would have made 40 years ago, and actually he kind of did when he made Sleeper. There's definitely some Woody Allen feeling to it. There's also quite a bit of being there in this movie, which is, I think, really where the movie kind of plummets. This notion that uh, the Herschel character is some kind of uh, savant genius that can, um, that understands the pickle market and becomes this national celebrity. I mean, it just feels really contrived and unrealistic. For, For a movie that, in the first 10 to 15 minutes really sets up this sympathetic and likable guy who's very hardworking and devoted to his religion and his family and he becomes basically a douchebag midway through this movie inexplicably um i think for the purposes of the story more so than to actually explore an authentic kind of character uh change um 
too many gimmicks in this movie. The time travel, the dual roles, the accent, it's just too much. I would have liked a more kind of level-headed movie about Seth Rogen's immigrant experience in the 1920s. Um, this feels like, uh, it feels like death becomes her meets, everything is illuminated. This kind of strange mixture that doesn't quite add up in spite of a good performance. I will also say the best part of this movie was the use of the song Reflections of My Life by Marmalade, a criminally underused song from the great 1960s that's used very well in this movie. It was the best part of this movie um otherwise I, I think a fairly forgettable uh movie unfortunately yeah yeah i i think we've kind of said it all <laughs> did you just call the I 60s mean, the, great is that what i that's what i want to know oh yeah the 60s are the best time for music and that's a great song that doesn't get used in movies a lot all right <laughs> all right well uh, we're all giving this two and a half stars uh, it if you have HBO Max, um, it's it's on there. It's easy to find. Can we just agree um, that his app is really fascinating, though? Like I would use I, that, that app. I will agree that that was like as I'm watching, like this is a this is a perfect idea for an app. I'm I'm surprised no one's actually come up with this yet. But Jorma was two words about being canceled. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's all. The, that's the thing is like this is the only other guy in this movie that that's uh, you know you've ever heard of is Jorma's in the movie from the Lonely Island crew and he's in it for literally like thirty seconds, and he's gone. Like it literally is Seth Rogen in a bunch of thirty second performances. Maybe the the one with the biggest performance outside of Herschel's wife is uh, the intern, the like the leader of the interns. That's like yeah, the, oh, the yeah. third or fourth build you could say shocking that wasn't anna kendrick yes good yeah, call. It, 10 years ago it would have like up in the air era anna kendrick it totally would have been pretty much her character <laughs> it pretty much was her character enough in the air can we also just grieve a little bit that because this movie is released on hbo max we're not going to get the dvd blu-ray with the unrated director's cut with seth rogan getting high with all the interns in central park i mean that would have been a great deleted scene from this movie i'm upset at the lack of marijuana in this movie um i think it's very unbecoming of seth rogan and it's a, it's a disappointment and a shame i don't want it's, yeah it, you like serious seth rogan it's a it's it's a development that I don't want to see more of. It's it's a regression. But you like serious Seth Rogen. I think you could be serious be and ser stone. It needs to be serious Seth Rogen with pot. Okay, got it. That would have just okay. pumped more into the storyline of him being like this like offensive buffoon who ends up like or creating power by uh, his lackluster pickle recipe. I don't know, which would have been interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> would have created some other laughs. Uh, all right well like i said um came available this week on uh, hbo max uh you can catch it there uh we're a little lukewarm about it but if you're looking for something fun to watch seth rogan if you're a seth rogan fan it'll be a good watch for you so two and a half stars from all three of us all right are we ready for this let's get into our deep dive uh it was my week to pick pick our uh, our deep dive movie and uh, we've been looking at films celebrating anniversaries this year. And I went with a film that uh, Todd and I kind of grew up with. Um, it came out literally two months after I was born. Uh, it's celebrating its 35th anniversary. And uh, that is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Warner Brothers is proud to present the story of a guy. Good morning. I'm here. 
and his bike. James Bond kind of stuff. Together for the first time in their first big movie. I meant to do that. Zach had never seen this movie before, so that'll be interesting, interesting to hear what he thought of it. But we're going to start out first with our trivia game. Zach, you're the one that knows nothing about this movie, so you're running trivia. Um, what are Does we doing? Who's going first? Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to start <laughs> with uh, Todd, because Terry was the one that suggested this movie and is apparently the, the one who really loves it. Although I think Todd loves it too, but we're going to start with Todd. So Terry, you can exit... Okay. Take well, take, a, take a take a breather, make some breakfast in your Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> Go for right. a bike ride. Okay, okay. So uh, Todd, uh, uh, I have uh, ten questions, and they are worth a total of sixteen points. Okay. I'm a little bit inspired by your Meet the Parents trivia. I decided to go a little hardcore this time, but uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, first question, and uh, this is the most Zach question you're going to get. What is the name of the movie theater and the movie playing in the town square? And it's a two-point qu- two question. Right. Cartoon Say Cavalcade. Um, yep. Uh, and I have no idea what the movie theater was called. <laughs> the movie theater is called the Criterion Theater. And um, I was going to say... Of if you didn't get that question, um, I would I was gonna d- deduct you a point because that's like the most obvious Zach question. I, I always notice uh, movies in the background uh, that that are movie theaters. Okay, uh, next question uh, worth one point. What is Pee Wee's address number? I have no idea. I'm gonna say nine four eight. Uh, not too far off. One eight four eight. Um. What is the what is the poster behind Sergeant Hunter's desk say? This is I mean this is as bad as when you gave the almost famous trivia. Ah, uh, I, I I have no idea what it said. It says use a gun, go to prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could have made this worse. Um, okay, next question. Uh, what are the two types of gum Pee Wee offers Mister Buxton? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Cherry and. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Mint? <laughs> I don't I, uh, I don't remember that. I'm, I'll give you a half point for that because the correct answer is spearmint or fruit. And I feel like cherry or mint was actually kind of... Uh, you're in the right direction, so I'll, I'll give you a half point for that one. Um, okay. okay, so two-part question. Give the birth and the death dates of Large Marge. Uh, that, that's a little harsh. Let's go. Let's go death years. How about that? Birth and death years. Okay, I'll say like 1935, 1976. 1937 oh. to 1974. Close. Damn but... it, I was actually close. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. Okay, fine, I'll give you another half point for that one. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, who? What are the names of the residents of the Alamo? I don't know. <laughs> Pedro and Inez. Um, what What is the name of the doctor performing the demonic operation in on Pee Wee's bike in his nightmare? I got nothing. <laughs> Doctor Dave. Uh, what is the speed limit on the Warner Brothers Studio lot? Uh, fifteen. I have no idea. Uh, eight miles per hour. 
I thought that was kind of notable because what I've never seen a sign that says eight miles per hour and kind of caught my attention. So I thought I'd ask that. Uh, okay, worth two points. What is, what is Pee Wee's Rodeo name? Oh, okay, so I, I wrote this wrong. What is the name that is announced when Pee Wee is at the rodeo and what is the name of the bull that he rides? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, the answer is Lloyd Fletcher and Volcano. And then the last question, worth five points, and I feel like you're going to need it. Um, give me the names of the four hobos that are at the premiere of the Pee Wee movie and what concession item Pee Wee delivers to them. Uh, for the, I don't know, the main guy that says they're in box seats, he gives, like, uh, pretty sure he gives popcorn. No. <laughs> not, not correct. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, the, so the correct answer is Bob, Luke, Skinny, and Milky, and, uh, the item he brings to them from the concession stand is, a, is snow cones. Wow. Okay. So, um Yeah, not great. Yeah. We'll we'll see how Terry does on this. All right, I'm back. Okay, so um so uh Todd need a little help on this one. Um there were a total of 16 points on 10 questions. Todd got 2. So so the threshold is not Ooh. great, but but maybe that says that these questions were a little too difficult. So, uh you know, I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so question number one, worth two points. Uh, what is the, and if you get this question wrong, you lose a point. What is the name of the movie theater and the movie playing in the town square? And you lose a point because I knew you were going to ask this question. question. I knew you were going to ask this question. It's the Criterion Theater, and it was a Cartoon Cavalcade. And with that, Terry ties the score too. Um, <laughs> what is Pee Wee's address number? Ooh. Uh, three, four, five. No, it is one, eight, four, eight. Um, and you know what? Todd was closer. He said nine, four, eight, and nine is half of 18. So I'm just going to give Todd another extra point there. We'll, we'll bring his score to three. Um, what does the poster behind Sergeant Hunter's desk say? Um, dare. No. Good guess, though. It says, uh, use a gun, go to prison. What are the two types of gum that Pee Wee offers Mr. Buxton? Oh, 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 um, spearmint Correct. Or fruit? Correct. Uh, give me the birth and death years of Large Marge. And this is worth two points. So... Now, Todd, I, I Todd actually, was somewhat close on this. I feel like if Todd gets it closer, maybe I'll, I'll give him a point. I didn't, I didn't see this, but I was reading up on the trivia on this. So the year of her death was uh, 1974. That is correct. I believe it was January 11th. That is correct. Yeah. And then, um, so I, uh, I'm going to go... 1926 was her birth. 
Uh, no, her birth year was 1937, but you did get the exact date right of her death, so that, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'll give you one point for that. Um, okay, uh, what are the names of the residents, the two residents of the Alamo? Oh, gosh. Nope, don't know. Pedro and Inez. What is the name of the doctor performing the demonic operation on Pee-wee's bike in his nightmare? Dr. Schwinn. I don't know. No, it is Dr. Dave. <laughs> you think I'm right? It should have been Dr. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> what is the speed limit on the Warner Brothers studio lot? 10? Uh, it is 8 miles per hour. 8? <laughs> Kind of, kind of stuck out. Okay, this is a two-part question. Um, what is the name when Pee Wee is at the rodeo? What is the name? What is the name they announce him as? And what is the name of the bull that he rides? Oh gosh, um, the bull is like El Diablo or something like that. No. And I can't remember the name. The 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 name is Lloyd Fletcher, and the bull's name is Volcano volcano and then the last question worth a grand total of five points um give me the name of the hobos that are at the screening of uh peewee's movie and what concession item peewee delivers to them um okay i heard that i didn't i wasn't paying attention when they said it either but it's it, they're all like one syllable names Lou is one of them. Lou. One of them is Luke. That's close. Luke. <laughs> um, you got the stew. right. Stew. Uh, no, no stew. No. Can you can you um, na- name the item, the concession item that he brings them? I want to say it was peanuts. No, it was not peanuts. It was snow cones. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember every other one what they what he brought them, and but I couldn't remember what the hobos got. And the names of the other hobos were Bob, Skinny, and Milky. <laughs> Bob, Skinny, Milky, so, Luke. <laughs> so I don't really know how to score that. I think Terry has four and a half. I think Todd has three. I think Terry's the winner. In what was a phenomenal trivia round. Yeah, I knew when I heard the questions, I was like, Terry's not going to get much more of this than I am, <laughs> but I know he's going to beat me. Uh, th- this is true. All of that was true. I just kept thinking about Todd's question about what do- what does Greg buy at the Oyster Bay convenience store? And thinking what a <laughs> up question that was. So I- I'm sorry if I went a little overboard, but this was in reaction to that. That was a great question. I got but, all but one of them on that one. That was a terrible evil question all right well uh well let's get into let's get into peewee's big adventure i i won trivia so i'll start this off uh this came out in in 1985 uh it actually came out 35 years ago today, today. it can it, it came out august 9th 1985 uh this is the um directorial debut of tim burton uh and it stars peewee herman uh, played by Paul Rubens, but at that point he it actually says in the credits Pee Wee Herman plays himself. Um, it was written by Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman, 
which I thought was really interesting. I didn't notice that the first time around. And uh, his he was cameo a, in the movie. <laughs> and his cameo in the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Michael Varhol. Um, yeah, Phil Hartman was a was a good friend of Paul Rubens. They'd done some comedy stuff together. Uh, Phil Hartman was actually on a few episodes of uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse as well. Uh, but the, yeah, this is it's a story of a of a grown like a kid at heart type of guy who uh, gets his bike stolen and he spends the rest of the movie trying to find it and goes traveling across the country looking for it and meets a whole lot of people and gets messed up in a lot of strange things and uh, and yeah, this was a movie that like I said at the beginning, Todd and I kind of grew up on on Pee Wee. We watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure which is vastly superior to Big Top Pee-wee. We don't need any talking pigs getting chased by hippos in this. Um, but uh, but it did have the screen debut of Benicio Del Toro as, as the, the dog boy. Um, and Valeria anyways. Galino, my wow. girl. And Valerina Galino was a girl, and Chris Christopherson's in it. Yeah, there, wow. there's a lot of stuff going on in Big Top Pee-wee. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, Pee-wee was a phenomenon in the late 80s, early 90s. Um and, uh, yeah, Pee-wee's Playhouse, we had episodes recorded on VHS that we would watch incessantly, and we watched this over and over again. Uh, it's a part of our childhood. Watching it back, uh, it's kind of fun fun to see. Um, there were definite parts that I remember very, very distinctly. Um, but it, it's I still love this movie. It's, it's uh, just silly. And... Um, and yet innocent but also you have tim burton in charge with so there's the there's this dark side that he brings to it too um todd how about you what what uh what do you remember of uh peewee's big adventure and what do you think of it now uh yeah i mean i used to watch it obviously a ton when i was kid too but i think i watched big top peewee more because this movie i mean i feel like eric stone street and almost famous when he's like she kind of freaked me out that's what I feel about this movie, because I remember being terrified of certain parts of this movie and watching it now, because I haven't thought about this movie or watched it in pro- since I was, like, 10, probably. But, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, like, when he's, like, running out with the snakes or when he, like, honks the horn and knocks with the bikes, I was, like, really scared when I used to watch this when I was a child. And uh, so it kind of seems... Not to little- mention Large Marge. Of course, Large Marge, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a, a bunch of times. Or when he's getting chased by Andy... For the first time, like th- these things are ingrained in my head, and I remember being terrified of them. So Big Top Pew is probably more of like a safe place, and I, I did kind of like that movie too, but I haven't seen that in probably even longer. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, th- this movie's always been up there. I mean, I have it in my top ten of 1985 because I mean, out of nostalgia's sake at least, and uh, I mean, it does have a lot of interesting. Uh, <clears throat> artistic qualities like i was watching ebert's review and he said it reminded him of the harold lloyd movies which i can kind of see as well i mean it it, it is a really weird artistic movie and 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 an interesting debut for such a visionary filmmaker like tim burton so it's a it's a yeah it's always been a part of me but i haven't seen it in forever until like a couple days ago and it's such an odd character too that that is so endearing in so many ways that went from like stand-up comedian in clubs to making blockbuster movies like this to making a kids tv show saturday morning i mean it, it, it's such an odd character um todd i have to ask you where where in in the peewee lore do you put peewee's big holiday <laughs> i mean so yeah i watched that like when it came out <laughs> 
I don't think that I don't think it's that good. It, actually, kind of, I'm less than the, the the reviews actually stated of it. But I mean, it was still. I mean, it was it was a, a throwback. But I I don't think it was that good. I think it was definitely trying to bring back some of the magic of Pee Wee's Big Adventure of you know the cross country trip and meeting a bunch of random people and and uh, and stuff like that. Trying to get to Joe Manganiello's birthday party, which is just crazy. Right. Um. All right, Zach. You watched this for the first time this week. What did you think of Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. I, I, You know, I will say that when Terry announced this as our deep dive, I tried talking him out of it. I said, come on, man. You know, Cuckoo's Nest came out in 75. Let's just do a 45-year review of that. Uh, let's do anything else, man. I'm not in the mood for a kid's movie that wasn't even nominated for any Oscars, uh, that is 35 years old, which is not, I don't think, that meaningful of a milestone. (sighs) That being said, I do have to say, I kind of enjoyed it. It it was not nearly (laughs) as, as, as bad as I thought it was going to be, which is rare, considering that it is a it's a kid's movie that is whimsical and cutesy and way over the top. Um, I think the key to this movie is that if you get bored by it, then it's like it's a, it has ADHD. It's a movie that needs like Ritalin because if you get <laughs> bored by a segment, it moves on so quickly that you forget about it, which is something I should have thought about when I was making trivia. There is so much in this movie contained in 90 minutes that it probably is hard to capture all of it. Um, there's a lot of characters. I can actually now sort of understand why Terry would pick it. We like to pick, uh, for our deep dive movies, we like to pick movies that have a lot of characters. This movie is kind of sprawling in a weird way. It's very reminiscent of the Big Bird movie, Follow That Bird. I don't know if you watched that when you were kids. I watched that. I also yep, have to yep. say that I, w- I grew up in a house where Pee-wee was not allowed. Uh, my mom thought Pee-wee was a creep. Uh, never at all watched his show, his act at all. So I, I was not exposed to him at a young age. So I was coming into this movie with a deficit. I'm also not the world's big- biggest Tim Burton fan, which we'll talk about in a second. But I have to say, after, after really kind of dreading the experience of watching it and kind of questioning my life... Um, I, I do have to say it, it, it was not bad. Ebert included it on his list of kind of guilty pleasure movies. He never actually had a published review of it, which is a conspiracy theory I want to get into later. But uh, I have to say it was not nearly as bad as I thought it was. I'm on the fence with it because it's it's not a great movie, but it was sort of perversely entertaining. See, I, I, I knew you were either going to have that review. It was either going to be that or this is the worst piece of crap ever made. That those that was either going to be one or the other. And Todd said you were going to you were going to side with the. It was somewhat entertaining because he thought you were going to give it pretty much the same review you gave Popeye. Well, okay. Can I? I'll, I'll go and. Yeah. Which is what you did. Uh, no, I like Popeye a little more. But I will say, part of what makes me like this movie a little bit more than maybe I should, is the fact that essentially. This movie is almost exactly a Buster Keaton movie, a Harold Lloyd movie. It is very much in their tradition of Monsieur Hulot. And if you want to be a film snob and talk about how great The General is, and you want to talk about how great The Kid is, and City Lights, and in the Monsieur Hulot films, this movie is not that far away from it. And if you're, if you're denigrating this movie just because it's Pee Wee Herman and it came at a later era, 
then you're kind of being a douchebag. So I feel like any sort of pretentious critics, a.k.a. Gene Siskel, who would have given this movie a negative review, really aren't examining the fact that this is essentially in that same sort of cinematic vein and tradition. And so I kind of feel like this is a case of, um, I I feel like the pretentious critics really sort of alienated themselves with this movie. Um, That being said, I I also don't feel like it's a classic movie, like a lot of Pee Wee fans maybe think, but uh, I think it's unfairly maligned by, by some critics like Gene Siskel. Yeah, I like I like that comparison to to some of those silent films because I mean you've got I mean, even you, you talk about Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, he wasn't Charlie Chaplin. He was the Tramp, and that's yeah. all you thought of. Paul Rubens forever. No one ever knew his name was Paul Rubens until he got arrested. They you knew it was Pee Wee Herman. That that's yeah. all you knew. Yeah. So that I love that comparison. I, I was watching the the Cisco and Ebert reviews earlier today, and like. It, Cisco was, was doing his his bottom uh his worst movies in 1985 and he he showed a clip from this movie because Ebert apparently was on vacation when they reviewed it or something and it was a, it was a clip of him you know like riding the bike you know in in the weird ways because he sees the the kids on the other side of the park uh riding them all cool and stuff and he's and Ebert's like I think I'd like to watch that it looks like the movies of Harold Lloyd and and stuff like that and and Cisco was all crazy but then when they talked about like, uh, w- when they were reviewing Big Top Pee-wee, he, uh, Siskel actually gave, like, positive remarks to, to Pee-wee's Big Adventure when it seemed like he was giving it, like, a half a star when when they, when they were talking about it as the worst movies in 1985. It, it was a really... Oh, I heard he gave it a zero-star mo- uh, review. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I didn't actually ever see his review, but, I mean, I just saw when you were talking about it as one of the worst movies of 85, and I thought that was interesting. And then he changed his tune, like, two years later when they were reviewing the other one. So I, I just want to give, I'm going to give a conspiracy theory right now. I know we're, we're, we still got a lot of other stuff to do, but I do have a conspiracy. I swear on my grave, whatever, Roger Ebert wrote a review of this movie. I know he did. I remember reading it. Okay. I, I want to say it was in like his 1990 or 1991 edition of his book. Cause I used to own a bunch of his old video companion books from the early nineties. I know he wrote a review of this movie and I swear he gave it three and a half stars and so he was a big fan of this movie. I don't have the book anymore. I don't know. It, 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 it got lost somewhere, but <laughs> I say what? there is a review somewhere in the archives, go back to his 1990 or 1991 video companion book, you know, that 2,000-page behemoth that he would put out every year. Somewhere in there, he has a review of Big Topic, not Big Topic, excuse me, Pee-wee's Big Adventure that he gave three and a half stars to and talked about how great it was. F*** the vacation. He was not on vacation. He, he saw this shit. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad at least you enjoyed it. I'm glad it wasn't a complete waste of your time. It was not a complete waste of time. Good. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about something else with this. Like I said um, when I introduced this, this was uh, Tim Burton's directorial debut. Uh, he had he had directed a whole bunch of shorts, including. Um, a uh, short on uh, Frankenweenie, which ended up becoming the full-length movie later on. But uh, this was his uh, his first feature-length film. And we've been doing some Mount Rushmore's um, connected with our, our, um, our deep dives. So we're going to do a Mount Rushmore of Tim Burton movies here. And, uh, and kind of see what, uh, what we get out of this. So, Todd, I'm going to go to you first to submit uh, your... 
submission. First off, I don't think we're going to say that Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the fourth one. I, I think we, we can... Can we agree? No. Yeah. But I don't I don't think I would put it on his on his Mount Rushmore, but let's let's get our three out of the way, and then we'll debate on what the fourth one is. So, Todd, what's your submission? Uh, so, okay, so there was, like, a few movies that were on loop when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Pee-wee's Big Adventure was one. The, another one was Batman, but the one that I'm submitting is Edward Scissorhands, because I, I watched that probably 150 times when I was a kid. I I can't say I've watched it in a long time, but I, that is a great movie, a great early Johnny Depp role, like, one of his first, like, real starring roles, and, um... Uh, it's one of the, I don't know, it, like, Tim Burton has that way about him where everything about his visual style really appeals to a kid because you don't even have to really understand what's going on to be entertained by it because it looks so different and looks so interesting. And uh, Ever Scissorhands is, I, to me, it's a classic movie, and I'd be interested if we did a deep dive on that because it's been, it's on an anniversary year, too. But uh, it's a, I, everything I remember about it was that it, it's a movie of my childhood, even more than Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, what was interesting about that one too is you had Johnny Depp who was kind of getting to be this this big thing, this big up young up and comer, and he picks as like his first leading role to be heavily makeuped and being Edward Scissorhands and not not you know fronting an action movie or something like that or or a, a rom com. It, it was it it set the stage for what Johnny Depp's career was going to be and. Uh, and why he's a perfect companion for Tim Burton in so many of his movies. Cool. All right. I have no arguments with that. Zach, I'm going to you next. What's uh, your submission for Mount Rushmore? This is like the Ben Stiller Mount Rushmore. I'm a bad person to ask. I'm not a Tim Burton fan. Maybe I'm overly influenced by Ebert, who is also not a huge <laughs> Tim Burton fan. Um, but I, I, I'm not really a huge fan of Edward Scissorhands. I kind of hate Beetlejuice. Um, I kind of hated Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I kind of hated Mars Attacks, even though part of it was shot in Lawrence, Kansas. I hate the Batman movies, kind of. Which leaves the obvious choice, and I'm sorry if I'm taking it from you, Terry, and that is the one movie that really broke through with the Academy Awards for him, that is 1994's Ed Wood. Classic movie. I don't think you're going to get any sort of criticism. I mean, this was a movie that I think part of maybe the problem with his early movies is they were still kind of slanted toward a juvenile demographic. They were all kind of kids' movies in a way, even though Batman was uh, cr criticized as overly dark. But Ed Wood is like a John Waters movie, essentially. And um, it celebrates filmmaking in a way that the disaster artist tried to do but never could quite encapsulate. It celebrates bad filmmaking in that way. And I think it also has one of the great uh, Johnny Depp performances, Martin Landau in that movie, uh, won an Oscar for it as Bela Lugosi. He's phenomenal. Sarah Jessica Parker, Bill Murray, uh, a great all-star cast, Patricia Arquette. And again, it just... it. As a, I, it's not. It doesn't even really feel so much like a Tim Burton movie in a way. It feels more like a movie that just celebrates the act, and the ambition and the audacity to make a movie when you have no budget, and when you're kind of a weird person like Edward Wood really was. And it's funny. It's weird. It's unpredictable. I think it holds up pretty well, and it's sort of a classic. So for me, there is no question that this is uh, Edward is his crowning achievement. And, and what's interesting about that one is it's probably the least Tim Burton, Tim Burton movie. Or one, exactly. of, that's one why, of the that's, least Tim Burton movies. That's probably why I put it number one, because his aesthetic kind of bothers me usually. But that is, you know, he, he puts it to the side and makes a movie that celebrates the act of bad filmmaking. 
Yeah, I would say like this and Big Fish are the two biggest examples of him straying from what he's always done into something different. Big Fish well, is but a terrible. I, if you movie. talk about Oscars, Sweeney Todd it, it was just as much a part of the Oscars as Ed Wood. I, I don't know. I think you're I think you're belittling it a little bit because he's also had some animated movies that have really that that. If they weren't animated, they would have been a big part as well. Now, that is true. I have not seen all of his animated movies, so I may be unfairly assessing it, but I have not seen, like, Frank... I've not seen Frank and Weenie. I have not seen Corpse Bride. Uh, those I should see. I honestly don't think I've seen any of his animated movies. Frank and Weenie is fantastic. That, that's one of the best animated movies the last ten years. And that that's a list wow. we might... We, we should probably do at some point. That is a great <laughs> idea. Uh, that is a great idea. Um, let's see here. Uh, I was texting Todd about this, and and I feel like you could make uh, your entire um, Mount Rushmore of Tim Burton from, like, what, like 88 to 94, and no one would argue with you. Um, because I think... Since Ed Wood, he really hasn't done much in much quality filmmaking. Um, I'm a big fan of Big Fish. I really like that movie. I love Sweeney Todd. I thought it was a perfect um, a perfect musical for for his style and his to and him to put his imprint. Alice in Wonderland is one of like the um, highest grossing movies of all time. That's that's true. I actually haven't seen Alice in Wonderland. It's coming up on my anniversary list though, because it was nominated for some Oscars ten years ago. Um, and like I said, I haven't seen his uh, his animated movies. But um, I never saw Dumbo last year, which was supposed to be a disaster. Um, never saw Dark Shadows, which was supposed to be a disaster. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was a disaster. Um, I love Beetlejuice, but I'm think I'm gonna go with Batman as my submission uh he i feel like he what he did with batman was so perfect in bringing the his dark sensibilities yet still kind of making it a little bit kind of corny and campy like the adam west batman and he he gave just the perfect vibe to the Batman world that you would need plus he was able to talk jack nicholson into coming in and being the joker which is just, I mean, Jack Nicholson, the, uh, you know, the, the great overactor that he is, he was perfect at being the Joker. Um, Michael Keaton was a great Batman, a great Bruce Wayne. Um, and, I mean, you got Batman, you got Batman Returns. I like Batman more. Um, I think that's, that's going to be my submission uh, for Mount Rushmore. So, we've got uh, Edward Scissorhands, we've got Ed Wood, we've got Batman... We need a fourth. I mean, we've got Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We've got Beetlejuice. We've got Batman Returns. Um, Big Fish. Sleep, uh, Sweeney Todd. We could always go Sleepy Hollow and go with another Johnny Depp. Um, that was that was not a good movie either. Um, never saw Oh, it. I forgot he did Planet of the Apes, too. I never saw that one. I would say my, my personal choice, I would go either Beetlejuice or Sweeney Todd. Those are those would be my picks. I mean, I'm saying Pee-wee. Oh, okay. Pee-wee or, or Sweeney Todd. 
you know, I remember seeing. Did we see Sweeney Todd in a theater together, Terry? I saw it. It's possible. It, I think it. I think it is possible. I remember really enjoying Sweeney Todd. I have not seen it since it was in a movie theater. Maybe I was influenced by Ebert's three point five star review of it. I don't know. Um, I did not like Beetlejuice or this fake review of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Or his. Fa- I don't know. I I would be more. I think Pee Wee is a better movie than Beetlejuice. So take that for whatever. Yeah, it's worth. I mean that, that. I think that's that's a fact. I, I'm not sure you have to debate that. Oh, I love Beetlejuice though. I mean, you you got early early Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. Uh, you got Michael Keaton doing crazy stuff there. Beetlejuice is not um, funny. The whole the whole like. The whole like dinner scene with Maureen O'Hara and uh, and Winona Ryder and them like being forced to sing and Catherine O'Hara, not Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara, what? Um, I think she she probably died by that point. Yeah, like a hundred years in that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's why she was in Beetlejuice. They were all dead. That's true. That that is a good point. The only um, movie I haven't spit out. I've never seen Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I've heard that it's actually decent, but I've never watched it. Wasn't that Eva Green? Yeah. I also didn't talk about Big Eyes, um, which I never saw, but... Oh, yeah, that's a terrible was, movie. Yeah. I did not... Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz? I don't know if I'd put this on my list. I thought Dark Shadows was kind of funny. Like, if I gun to my head, that's probably the, the one I would pick... It had it, it in in a way it had this sort of Ed Wood kind of subversive vibe to it that was making fun of the thing that it was portraying, um, but I don't think either of you would put that on the list. I sort of agree with Todd. Let's it. let's go with Pee Wee as 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 number four. I mean, there's a reason we're talking about this. We're devoting a whole episode to it, right? Yeah, I I, I was gonna say it, it's really down to Pee Wee and Sweeney Todd. I don't remember anything about Sweeney Todd except Helena Bonham Carter on a beach in sunglasses. Yep, that that is one of the scenes. <laughs> and, oh, I, I love that movie. That movie's so good. Ah, oh, so good. And Johnny Depp is perfect for that that just dark. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I uh, I, I, I remember? I remember Ben Affleck's daughter's performance of Sweeney Todd in Jersey Girl, the Kevin Smith movie, better than I remember the movie Sweeney Todd. Is that bad? That's probably yeah, I don't. That, that's a bad sign. That's that's bad. That's bad. Uh, we can go Pee Wee. Let's go Pee Wee. Why not? Yeah, we'll go with movies we've all seen. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> otherwise, usually yeah, a good bet. would be my choice. <laughs> right, right. And Dark Shadows. Right, so. Would be my so yeah, so Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Batman, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. We did it. it everything pre nineteen ninety four is uh, Tim Burton's. <laughs> that, that's a bad sign for a filmmaker when you keep making movies and the last twenty six years of your career are completely irrelevant when it comes to touchstones of what defines you as a filmmaker. Man, what happened but at in nineteen ninety four? He's a he's like a billionaire with his. Uh... <laughs> With his Alice in Wonderland movies. Oh, Al- yeah. That's There's true. two Alice in Wonderland movies, and then he... I mean, Dumbo was still... I mean, it's still a Disney remake, um, even though nobody liked it. Yeah. I forgot that he produced Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Now, if he had directed that, that would have been interesting, because that's a good movie, too. That would have been really interesting. He does have some interesting production credits, like Nine, not the... Uh, not... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, right, 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 right. right. The, the, I have seen that one. And and the um, number nine, the not number the word nine. nine. Right, exactly. And uh, James and the Giant Peach, and randomly Cabin Boy. By the way, how come? How how did we not bring up uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas? Isn't that sort of a classic Tim Burton movie? Yeah, or did he not I've direct never seen it? Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't think he directed. No, it. I mean, he didn't direct I, that's, it. That's the problem. Okay, because otherwise that would. I think that would kind of clearly be my pick, but he didn't direct it. Yeah, he wrote it, or had it was based on his characters. He's not actually. Yeah, that's one. That's one you definitely. That's one you definitely think of as a Tim Burton movie, but yeah, apparently he didn't direct it. All right. Well, we've got our four. Um, Not necessarily the four I was thinking we'd come up with, but I like it. All right. Next, our next thing that we always do on our deep dives is we do a recasting. Um, This one, I mean, you either cast like two or three people, or you cast recast like twenty. So we went with three. We're going to recast Pee-wee, Dottie, and Francis. And uh, and see what we come up with here. Um, I'll go first on this. Uh, Pee-wee, when I was thinking of who would, who would be Pee-wee, I mean, Pee-wee is such an iconic, such a Paul Rubens type of thing. So I was thinking more of like, um, I've got two choices here. One is this guy definitely could do Pee-wee. And the other one is, this is, would be a great one to play like the man-child, um, a peewee-type character in a movie, if they were doing like a remake of it. Anyways, the one that I think could totally like pull off peewee that would be really interesting is Paul Dano, because uh, he can do anything, and he kind of looks like Paul Rubens a little bit. I um, can appreciate that. Yeah, I see it. And then, uh, then the one I went with, of if, you, if you're going to do a new movie about, you know, a man-child, kind of like peewee Herman... Um, I really hate this guy, but I could see him actually being somewhat endearing in this role, and that's Adam Devine. Um, like, like he he has, I would say he has a very punchable face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but true. uh, but I could see them being really endearing in something like this. Like this is something that like he would be built for. So uh, so yeah, that's what I would go with. Uh, let's go, Todd next. So the one I was thinking of that would be perfect for it at some point in time, even though he kind of still looks like he's the right age, is Jim Parsons. But he's like 50-something years old now, so he's way too old, but he still looks like he could probably play it. But the one I went with was Christopher Mintz-Bloss, because I feel like his character in Role Models pretty much qualifies him immediately to be Pee-wee, because it's the exact (laughs) kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's been a while since we've actually seen him in a in, in he's in close to his starring role. I think it'd be fun. That's a good call. That's a good call. Zach, how about you? I had a. I, I mean, it is really hard to replace uh, Paul Rubens. I actually had Jim Parsons sort of at the top, at the top of my list. I'm just gonna read some names that I thought of. You guys tell me what you think sounds good, okay? I had Jim Parsons, Alexander Sarsgaard, Bill Hader. Tig Notaro, if we're going with a female uh, Oh, I like that. I like that. I don't know who that Kayla, is. Uh, you don't know Kay- who Tig Notaro is? Dude. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones, Mike Moe, Jonathan Groff, um, the guy who dies at the end of Once Upon a Time in America... Um, no, I'm sorry. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not Mike Moe. The guy that invades the house... You know, he's one oh, of Charles. Tex? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Tex. The guy who's playing Elvis in a movie coming up? Yes. And finally, my unconventional non actor pick, Steph Curry. 
Do any of those stick? I'm just kind of throwing them out there. I actually like Bill Hader a lot. I mean, that that's a pretty inspired pick. Yeah, that's a good one. That's okay, good Bill one. Hader. I think he's almost the same age, too, as... Well, no, he might be a little old. Sorry, that violates Terry's rule, but... I think Paul Rubens was yeah. in his, what, mid-20s or something? That's why I didn't say... He was 33. Person. He was 33. Oh, he was that old. Which makes him 67 right now. He is 67 years old. That's amazing. And he made a Pee-wee movie, like, three years ago. Um, the first name that popped into my head when I was thinking about this, and if we were doing it, like, 20 years ago, if you if you want someone to play a man-child 20 years ago, it's Will Ferrell. Like, like I mean, how is there really much, that much difference between Pee-wee and Buddy the Elf? That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you, you can I say mean, Jim Carrey at the same time, though. That's true. Or Adam Sandler. But, yeah, but I don't know if they would do it... They would, you you got to have the innocence that Pee Wee has too, and and Will Ferrell can pull that off much better than those other two. Okay, um, I think so, so. So wait, so is that your pick, Terry? Will Ferrell? No, 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 no. Oh. That was just someone else I had been you thinking said Adam about. Adam Devine. I mean, that's a good uh, Adam Devine. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry. All, All right. right. Next, we have uh, Dottie, originally played by Elizabeth Daly, who I was looking at her IMDb page. Uh, she's got like 220 credits on IMDb because she turned into this prolific voice actress, um, which is pretty cool. Um, so I was thinking about this, you know, this is like the love interest. Um, I, I, I think, I think she's, she's fairly attractive in this movie. Um, I don't know what Pee Wee's issue is. Um, but also another thing that Pee Wee does is Pee Wee does, um, a thing here where he, gets a lot of famous people to have random bit parts and so um i would i would throw one in for dotty i'm going florence pew oh yes <laughs> <laughs> i was not thinking in that direction that, that's what i'm going with i i think she she kind of looks the same uh, there, there's the height difference there because florence pew is tiny um and uh and that's one of the things i always if notice when tall with because and Dottie. like uh Dottie has to like reach up to try to kiss uh, Pee-wee like uh, in the later scenes. Like, is he tall or, or is he short? Paul too? Rubens is five ten. So he's not very tall either. So yeah, she must be really short. She so, was yeah, she must be really short. So, which Florence Pugh is. Um, but yeah, it, so you've got you you know a, a beauty, but not necessarily someone who's gonna stand out as like a bombshell. And so that's that's what I want. Does she speak in American in an American accent? Yeah, she can do an American accent. You well, yeah, I, summer, I know right? she can. In your in your Pee Wee remake, is she speaking yes. in an American accent? Okay. Yes. Yes. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I had three options. You need to think of someone who's like sweet and innocent, but it's also really likable. So I had three names, which were Sasha Lane. Lily James and Julia Garner. I'm not really sure which one I like hmm. the most. It, it depends on which aspect of uh, of Dottie you're thinking of, but I, I think they all could do it, especially uh, Julia Garner's Southern yeah. accent. I mean, yeah, Th- those are. All, I, I think they're all equally decent. <laughs> That's about as good as I can come up with. Decent. Nice, nice. I I would probably, well, I I like Lily James. So I would probably go with that one, but I don't know if she necessarily fits. No, but I, that's my favorite of the three. Mm. My favorite actress of the three. Julia Garner is the best pick of those three. I, I could actually kind of see that. That's 
a good pick. Okay. Julia Garner is wasn't isn't she the girl in Lars and the Real Girl? No. She she's in Ozark and the accountant. The assistant. Or not the accountant. The assistant. I'm not sure yeah, I Larson think that's a girl in Lars and the Real Girl. Do we need to look this up? I feel like look it up. I feel like that's impossible. I don't think she's old enough. No, to be in that. no, that's not, that's she's like not Terry Kelly Garner. Um, let's see here. Terry's thinking of Kelly Garner. Am I thinking of Kelly Garner? Kelly Garner. Could she have played? <laughs> she may have been uh, able to. Dottie. Kelly Garner, yeah. Kelly Garner. The aviator. Who was she in The Aviator? I don't know. Oh, she was in Bully. That's right. Faith she's, Domergue. Yeah, she's the one guy's girlfriend. Yeah. Um, okay, so my pick... I always get those two mixed up. My pick was... Uh, <laughs> Let's get back on track Just, just watch Ozark. <laughs> <laughs> I had no second choice for my pick, so I'm really glad uh, neither of you picked it. Uh, my pick is Jenny Slate. Because she's got the voice. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a perfect pick, I think. That that would that reminds me of uh, like if you would have picked Todd. Who's the girl that's in Pee Wee's Big Holiday that I think she was Arrested Development? Um, which one am I thinking of? Aaliyah Swarcat is that her name? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Jenny Slate's like forty. So? So is Jim Parsons. I didn't say Jim Parsons. That wasn't my official choice. <laughs> yeah, Aaliyah right. Shawcat. Yeah, she's the... That's it. That's it. I, I I knew I was gonna get her name wrong, so I was hoping you would know who I was talking about. That's actually about. a decent comparison. I, I like both actresses a lot, so... I like it. Well, and that's what I'm saying, is Pee-wee's Big Holiday tried to recreate Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and so you have someone like that that could do it. Anyways... Okay, uh, I'm going to go next with uh, Francis Buxton, originally played by Mark Holton, the biggest overgrown brat child of all time. Um, Stillwell Angel. Yeah, yeah. oh, wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's Stillwell Angel. Um, so if we're going, like, overgrown, like, brat... Uh, I'm gonna just typecast uh, another overgrown brat, and that's Harry Melling, who uh, played Dudley Dursley in the uh, Harry Potter movies. Um, we just saw him in The Old Guard. Uh, he can still play an overgrown brat. That's kind of what he does in The Old Guard. <laughs> um, I, th I think he could totally pull off the, the banter back and forth between him and Pee-wee. Alright. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I had three choices. All of them would be sort of comeback roles. One is, uh, uh, Martin Holden Weiner, who plays the, uh, neighbor kid in Mad Men, uh, because he just has this, like, douchiness that totally, totally fits Francis. The other ones are Cameron Bright and Spencer Breslin, because I think Spencer Breslin kind of looks like, you know, Stillwell Angel, and, uh, I don't think either of them had a significant role in, like, a decade, but, uh, I think it'd be fun to see... And you really just need someone to just, like, kind of whine on screen. And uh, I, th I think those two former kid actors would be pretty good. It'd be, it'd be like watching uh, Macaulay Culkin and Party Monster or something like that, you know? All right. All right. I like it. 
Zach, what do you got? I'm sorry. I've just been on like an internet deep dive with Still Stillwell Angel. I did not make that connection, but that is a be- beautiful <laughs> connection right there. I must say, um, that is. I like how Todd just calls him Stillwell Angel, but he doesn't have an actual name. I don't actually know his name. <laughs> he's not even calling him Francis. He's Stillwell. <laughs> um, I went with uh, Jesse Plemons because every power ranking needs Jesse Plemons ranked somewhere. Not power ranking, recasting. So. It's someone that makes the most sense. Yeah, I thought about him, but could he ever play someone that isn't likable? You think you think thing. Todd is likable? Did you see El Camino? I yeah, I did, but I still think he you you he he's definitely still like dynamic. I don't know. I would still consider him likable. I think Jesse Plemons could take his shirt off and go in that swimming pool and, and pull off that scene pretty well. <laughs> He's actually got... I, he had two movies um, that had trailers released this week, by the way. I, I just feel like I need to mention it because I think both <laughs> movies look really, really interesting. You've got uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman movie yeah. that's coming out later this year that we're definitely going to review. Um, and then uh, Judas and the Black Messiah with um, Lakeith Stanfield and uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, that's what that movie's coming out called next year. <laughs> yeah. By, by, by Shakir King. Shakir yes. King. Yeah, that was on yes. my Oscar predictions. <laughs> what, what was it called when it was on your Oscar predictions? I don't know. Probably the Untitled <laughs> Shakir King Project or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so uh, Jesse Plemons is definitely going to be uh, out there in the next, like, six to nine months with different movies, so I just had to mention it because I've, I watched him in a couple trailers just a couple days ago. Okay, so that's our recasting. We had three. That was it. Let's move on. Uh, well, first, Wait, so we Dottie on, was the voice of Tommy Pickles? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was obvious watching the movie. Wow. Childhood. I'm telling changed. you. <laughs> prolific character actress, or uh, animated actress, voice actress. She's done all sorts of stuff. I hadn't actually noticed that one, but yeah, it totally makes sense. And the voice of Babe. That, that's even weirder. She's the oh I didn't know that she's the voice of Babe. Good she was grief! Also in a series called Melania Trump's Cousins: How to Be a Model and Marry a Billionaire. Man, I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> yeah, she's got a ridiculous. Yeah, she's the voice of Babe. That's nuts. The boy voice of Tommy Pickles and Babe is Dottie. Uh, all right. Who would Nicolas Cage play? Oh, I had I had a good one here. Uh, he would play either Mickey, because mm-hmm. he's like he he's like a young Jimmy Smith or something like that. Like I, I feel like he's and he's angry as shit. I think that's a great uh, Nicholas Cage role. <laughs> or he would play Twisted Sisters uh, lead singer. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a good one too. Uh, those are good ones. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he would play Terry Hawthorne, the uh, Warner Brothers um, executive producer that uh, makes the Pee Wee movie. I yeah, yeah I could see yeah, it too. Yeah, that's a good one. 
I, I went with uh, James Brolin, but I do have a conspiracy theory that I just want to bring up right away, which is that have either of you ever seen the picture of Paul Rubens when he was arrested? And we'll talk about that maybe later, but like the mugshot. Yes. I yes. feel like he looks exactly like Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona in that mugshot. Oh, you're and so right. That, he so does. That's, that's really who Nicolas Cage would play in this movie is the, the mugshot of Paul Rubens in 1991. That's perfect. That is great. I've got a conspiracy theory about James Brolin later that we'll talk nice. about. Okay. Uh, let's get into uh, highest war performance. Um, Zach, I'm going to go to you first, but I, I feel like this is kind of an obvious answer. Is there? I think there really is only one answer, isn't there? Uh, no, there's definitely not one answer. I don't know, uh, what you're thinking about, but the highest war performance for, well, I don't know if this is the highest war performance or the MVP. I'm just going to go highest war performance because I really want to talk about this person. And that is Jan Hooks as Tina, the tour guide at the Alamo. I feel like, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe we're getting into big Tim territory also with minor characters, but she's awesome in her, like, you know, five minutes of glory in this movie. She's clearly my favorite character in this movie. And Jan Hook's underrated career, one of the great Saturday Night Live um, actors. Uh, if I were to make a top 10 list of Saturday Night Live performers I would want, uh, Jan Hook's would be on my list. Um, she's amazing in this. A lot of her scenes apparently were improvised. And for me, she gives the highest war performance because you put someone else in that role as the tour guide at the Alamo, and I don't think anyone else can pull it off. She's amazing in this movie. Steals the show. Yeah, I was reading that she improvised every single one of her lines. Isn't she amazing? She's awesome. I want to go on a tour with her. <laughs> yeah, she actually inspired me. I, I did some deep diving of trying to come up with Saturday Night Live act actors and actresses in my recasting but none of them especially for Dottie looking at some of the the ones that like could Melissa Villasenor play Dottie and none of them really fit the right vibe but um but yeah after I thought uh, well Jan Hooks is in here let's just and and so and you know you got Phil Hartman writing it let's just kind of find a find someone to uh Find someone from SNL to be in there. But yeah, of, that's a great call. One of my rejected trivia questions was, name the four types of ways you can make corn. <laughs> but, you know, that probably wouldn't, wouldn't be a good question either. But <laughs> No, no. Um, all right, I'm going to go next and, and take the low-hanging fruit. It's Paul Rubens. I mean, th this, this character is something he invented uh, at an improv... Um, an improv thing in the early 80s that became a, a stand-up uh, sensation. Still to this day, you say Paul Rubens and everyone goes, oh, Pee-wee. Um, he still d goes around and will randomly appear places as Pee-wee. He is Pee-wee. I mean, it's like saying... It, it, it's like saying, who else could be the Tramp? I mean, the Tramp is Charlie Chaplin. Paul Rubens is Pee-wee Herman. Nobody else could do it. He's the highest war. Uh, and that's all there is to it. Todd, how about you? Yeah, I have no other answer. It, it's Paul Rubens. Like, yeah, like you said, you can do an impression of of Pee Wee, but you're never gonna be Pee Wee. Paul Rubens is Pee Wee. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
See, here's, right. the, here's the, uh, pro- worst the performance. Here's the problem I have. Oh, go ahead. With, I'm sorry. Quickly, here's the problem I had with this movie. Watching it for the first time, I feel like it would have been a better movie if Pee Wee had never opened his mouth and if it was a completely silent movie. Because when he opens his mouth, he's really obnoxious and annoying, and I don't want to listen to him. But as a his silent, his words pe- are, "Look out, Mr. Potato." <laughs> <laughs> The first word spoken in the movie. It's awesome. <laughs> he's got like two voices. You know, he's got that like very throaty voice that Todd just did. But then he's also got the "Hey, Daddy, come here, Daddy!" Like very like whiny child voice, and it's it's really annoying. Either either voice, it, it it's, it's a lot. Method acting. <laughs> that that may have been the worst Pee Wee impression I've ever heard. <laughs> All right. Todd, worst performance. Uh, it is Ed Herlihy as Mr. Buxton. I've never had an. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I've always had an issue watching him. It, it's always been hard to watch. It's like he's uh, unlikable by nature, but I think he's horrible in this. But at the same time, it's also maybe like highest war. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think it's in a good way. Like I think he's a terrible, terrible actor. But I, I think you need a terrible actor in that role because. When he's, like, screaming like a baby when he eats the fake gum, it's like, what the hell is he doing? Like, like, <laughs> what are you doing? And, uh, yeah, I think that's the worst performance. I mean, there aren't a lot of bad performances because they're all really caricatures, but, I mean, that's just bad. All right, Zach, how about you? I'm going with Diane Salinger as Simone. We got to talk about Simone. blatant ripoff of of alice doesn't live here anymore this feels like uh, a completely different movie and frankly this is a role that should have been played by gina davis in 1985 she would have been much better in this role and it just doesn't belong these scenes really meander and they don't add up to much except when you have andy slash andre the giant running around and uh, even those scenes aren't aren't really that great, so uh, I just I, I don't buy it. Bad performance. That's a horrible pick. <laughs> horrible. Uh, slight slight detour. Uh, Paul Rubens and Diane Salinger play Mr. and Mrs. Cobblepot, Penguin's parents in Batman Returns, another Tim Burton movie. So. I always knew it was Paul Rubens, but I didn't. I never realized that Simone played the mom. So just throwing that out there. Um, you guys are you guys are totally missing it. The worst performance in this movie is uh, in the movie inside the movie, which is Pee Wee as the bellhop at mm. the hotel. Okay. Um, there we uh, go. That that is by far the worst performance. I mean, it is. They they do a really good job of making it a horrible performance. He always has to stick himself in the middle of the shot. He had to be dubbed over because his voice is too annoying. Um, he's mouthing everyone else's lines as they're being said. Um, it it's the worst performance. And if I can't go with that, I'm going with Chuck. <laughs> it's just a bad what? role. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I mean, he's got like six lines or six words that he says. And it's like, why, why did you pick that accent for this role? It, it, I mean, no. I I liked your first pick better, Terry. That wins. Yeah. For sure. All right. 
Big Tim High Roller, favorite minor character. Zach, you're first. Oh, well, I mean, I, I already said uh, the, the tour guide whose name apparently, according to IMDb, is Tina. Do they but, ever say that? I don't think they do. I, I'm going... I think she does say it. I'm going to go with someone else for my Big Tim Award, and that is someone who only appears in about five seconds of this movie, and that is Lou Cutell as Amazing Larry. And, you know, Amazing Larry goes to Pee-wee's house and... <laughs> He's got the hair, he's got the day glow, like, mohawk thing, and according, I, I read somewhere that if you have the DVD of this movie, which I do not, there are some deleted scenes that actually establish Amazing Larry as a more prominent role in the story, as a failed ma magician, and uh, he also kind of looks like a member of the village people, and um, he's my favorite minor character. I want to know more about, about Amazing Larry. I also want to know why, you know, Pee-wee knows him. Shut up, Amazing Larry. Isn't that what he says? No, he says, yeah. <laughs> Can you, do you have something to share with the group, Amazing Larry? <laughs> uh, That's a great choice. All right. That, that, I had two names written down. It was Tina the Tour Guide and Amazing Larry, so thanks, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> all right, I have, a, I have a couple more, Terry, so... All right, all right. Well, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with another one on the fly. Uh, I'm gonna come up with, um, with the, uh, the movie lot actor that was in the red, uh, the red like armor suit. That, uh, uh, I think he's over there, Kevin Morton. He's filming on this lot over here. I'm going with him simply because he's Jombie from Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's why I'm going with him. He's Jombie. So, uh, so Mechaleka High. There we go. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Mecca Lecca High, Mecca Heiny Hope. <laughs> Zach has no idea what I'm talking about. Todd yeah. does. Okay. Todd knows what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I think. Okay, good, <laughs> good. All right, <laughs> Todd. Okay, so I have two. One of which is uh, 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 is the the monkey outside the magic shop because mm. he's awesome. He, I mean, he stands he out. His two scenes, like Pee Wee has to wave to him twice. I mean, he's awesome. And the other one is <laughs> Professor Toru Tanaka as the butler, and because his scene with Pee Wee is one of the best. He's like, he's like, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's in the bath, and he's like, yeah, where are they hosing him down? And and then he's like, <laughs> and then he runs through the door into the pool like he's a bull or something. And like he's awesome, and he kind of looks like Taz from WWF SmackDown. Just bring it. Like he's an awesome <laughs> character. I want another movie with that guy. <laughs> I always felt like he kind of looked like Odd Job. He, well, he kind of looked like Random Task more than Odd Job. Yeah, he looked like Random Task. Yeah, yeah. He looked like he looked like the uh, the uh, caricature of Odd Job in Austin Powers. Yes. Isn't isn't the guy who played Random Task like in prison for murder? I feel like I feel like he is. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> he threw the shoe too many times. Conspiracy um, theories. <laughs> Uh okay. Uh, let's go to uh, biggest stick man. I'm gonna go first because I'm going. I'm going a little a little outside again. I'm going. It, it's it's not Pee Wee. No. P W no Herman. Oh. P W yeah. Herman played by jo uh, yeah, yeah played by James Brolin. Now that that is a stick man. So uh, that that's who I'm going with. Yeah. Todd, how about you? I mean. I wrote down Amazing Larry because, I mean, his name is freaking <laughs> no. Amazing Larry. 
he looks like a Vegas sideshow, which means he'd be in Vegas. He probably gets mass. I don't know. Like, Amazing Larry's probably a stick man. Well, well all right. I, I always I always figured that Amazing Larry is, is like the guy around the corner who runs a fireworks shop. Am I crazy in thinking that? <laughs> Let's change the name of this category to the Amazing Larry Big Tim Award. Please. <laughs> The Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller. <laughs> because, yes. I mean, High Roller and Amazing Larry are pretty much the same person. Right? They are! I mean, Conspiracy theory. Have played that character. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, Alright, Zach, who's your biggest stick man? I'm going with Chip, who is one of the BMX kids. And I think anytime you have a movie with, like, a teenager with the name of Chip... Um, he's he's probably getting it in. Side note: I don't know how Chip was not played by one of the Corys, Corey Heim or Corey Feldman. Cons- maybe another conspiracy theory. Like that would have been a great performance. Great I think casting. I read Corey Feldman was supposed to be Francis, and then uh, turned it down so that he could go to uh, Goonies. Hmm. Probably a good move on his part. Yeah. All right. Biggest douchebag. Todd, you're first. Okay, well, I mean, there's some obvious choices, but I'm going with the officer who makes Pee-wee get out of the car to check him yes. out when he's, yes. Yes. When he's yep. dressed like a girl. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't age well, for sure, but, I mean, <laughs> that guy, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean that's as douchey a movie as it gets. I mean, it only it doesn't help that that Pee Wee plays into it at the same time. But you know, like, ugh. It also could have been worse performance too because mm-hmm. it was yeah. Okay, Zach, who do you got? I'm going with uh, Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman. I mean, th- he is a douchebag in this movie. You know, oh, he is. He is. Yeah. I mean, first of all. Let me just tell you, okay, as someone who lives within 10 feet of their neighbor, spraying the, the hose, and, or excuse me, the, the sprinkler at the neighbor, that's just a faux pas, okay? Dick move. And uh, he's just an asshole throughout this entire movie. Like, he's so self-absorbed about the, about the theft of his bike. He has to call the police. Can we put Pee-wee on the biggest Karens list? Like, come on. And um, he's just a, a total dickwad throughout the movie. Very unlikable. I feel like the only reason they inserted that random pet shop scene was to give him some sort of sympathy. Because I didn't have a lot of sympathy for, for Pee-wee until, until that scene when he, when he rescues all the pets. Even reluctantly including the snakes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, he treats it, Dottie it, like shit. Like he is no, ruthless. Yeah, he but she treats Dottie like shit. <laughs> and the whole basement scene of him going through all the pieces of evidence he has, which is no evidence at all. <laughs> and let's be honest, he is responsible for the destruction of Warner Brothers Studios. Th- this is this is true. This is true. All right, uh, my my biggest uh, biggest douchebag. Uh, you guys are all missing the boat because the biggest douchebag is Kevin Morton. Yes. Uh, the child actor played by Jason Hervey. Oh yeah. Uh, also known as um, Still, Stillwell as, Angel. No, not Stillwell Angel. It's uh, Kevin Arnold's brother in the Wonder Years. Um, I'm watching. I'm like, what else have I seen this guy in? And then I was like, oh yeah, Wonder Years. He's the brother. He, he's basically like, he is to Kevin Arnold 
as Buzz is to Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Like that's that's the the relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he is the most entitled, uh, just ridiculous kid ever. And I feel like it was foreshadowing just like the kids that you know 21st century would produce. <laughs> entitled, uh, just you know everything is handed them on a silver platter. Yes. Yeah, Jack, I mean, this is that about. gray area where we are like, you know, we don't have an age minimum for uh, for douchebags. <laughs> but, I mean, um, that but kid is definitely a douchebag, though. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when <laughs> I've been ready all day. Roll. I mean, he yells action. Come on. He's, he's a douchebag. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. What's the best scene in this movie? Uh, Zach, you're first. Okay. Uh, the best scene in this movie, I think, clearly is the scene that Roger Ebert liked the most in this movie, and that is when Pee Wee is on his bike doing some spectacular tricks in the town square. And uh, yeah, Siskel thought that was lame humor. F- Gene Siskel, lame asshole. Gene Siskel, low-key biggest douchebag of this movie, also big candidate. And um, Out of respect. yeah, that 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 actually is is a pretty funny scene because doing bike tricks is difficult. I think actually Pee Wee's um, whole uh, bike uh, like uh, repertoire is pretty impressive, and um, he's he's a great biker. Best scene in the movie. All right. Um, I, I've got, I've got two that I'm debating between. I'm going to go with, I'm going with the chase through the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, um, it's right out of because, Blazing Saddles, though. That's the problem with that scene. Yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's still great. And you get to see everything going on on the lot. And you get to see, I mean, how many different, different movies does he go through there? And then you've got, by the end of it, you've got guys on golf carts, guys on motorcycles, uh... A boat on wheels, uh, Santa and his sleigh sitting next to Godzilla, all chasing Pee Wee through the Warner Brothers lot. I feel like this was like inspiration for Animaniacs to come out in like ten years. Ooh, that's a good cons- conspiracy theory. I like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that actually makes sense. All right, Todd, what do you got? So my favorite is the entire sequence with Simone because. Like, I think that is awesome, like, innuendo. Like, he pimps himself out by doing her dishes. You know, let's talk about your big butt. And, you know, I've been waiting for someone to put it to me like that for so long. And then Andy comes in like a monster to, to like, break break it up. I mean, it's awesome. But that is Pee-wee's view of of what what it would be like to be a a gigolo, pretty much. And I, I think that's awesome. And I never picked that up until I watched this this time. It's awesome. I also love the whole scene in the... So, the the other scene I was thinking about was just the opening scene with all the Rube Goldberg stuff. And, I mean, I want Abraham Lincoln to serve me pancakes. Um, off the so ceiling. So, there, there's that. Off the ceiling. Uh, but also the whole scene in the diner before that of when he figures out who Large Marge is. By the way, mm-hmm. how have we not mentioned Large Marge yet? I mean, she has to be one of the top minor characters in this, too, because she's amazing. 
And um, and then it's one what, of my I other. Mean, runner- I actually wrote down that she probably inspired the cab driver and all the homeless people in Home Alone too, because I feel like it's the same scene. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, but I, I uh, the uh, the other like favorite minor character was in the diner when he says Large Marge sent me. And uh, and the one guy turns and goes large Marge, and then looks at the other guy. He looks just like Robert Redford, and I was trying to figure out if it actually was him, and I couldn't find it anywhere. But apparently Tom Berenger is in the diner, and I know I couldn't wow. spot him. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also thought one of the best scenes was is the actual evidence scene because. That's just classic. <laughs> I mean, w- with the collapsing of time, and he's knitting and knitting and knitting. It's a, I mean, it's, that is cinematic brilliance. It's me without my bike! (laughs) The victims, my bike and me! (laughs) Uh, Well, and that is the scene that Amazing Larry pops up in, too. Of course. Yeah. Maybe that's the best scene in the movie. That is also the scene where Chuck has his moment, too. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, flaws, outdated conspiracy theories. Okay, I've got my conspiracy theory here. So apparently, right before this movie came out, James Brolin, like a, within like a year or two before this movie came out, auditioned to be James Bond. Ooh. And and lost. Oh, he just made it from Otto Green. <laughs> Morikawa <laughs> takes the lead. <laughs> oh, oh, see, I'm watching it on my iPad, so... <laughs> so okay, sorry. It just went down. Okay, Morikawa <laughs> takes the lead. <laughs> but anyway, so James Brolin was, like, supposed... was like auditioned for James Bond and was going to take over for Roger Moore for... I think you only live twice, potentially, something like that. So I think his, his, this is like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like the movie that's made inside the movie, is what his is like. It's his consolation prize. It's what his James Bond would have been. But he's American. He was. He auditioned for James Bond. I don't. Know, that would never happen. You're right, it wouldn't, but he auditioned for James Bond. Do you know who James Rowland is married to? That was going to be one of my trivia questions, but I thought that was too easy. Barbara Streisand. Mrs. Rowland. Too too easy. (laughs) (laughs) See, that ties it all together, because they watch Yentl at the end of American Pickle. Oh, yeah, they do. That's true. We've brought it full circle. Conspiracy theory. (laughs) And Barbara Streisand's in Meet the Fockers. Uh, yep, yep. This is bringing every movie we've talked about over the last two weeks. Was she in that rap uh, that rap movie you were talking about, Todd? Blue Blue Lives? No, Blue Story. Blue Story. No, she was not in that. She probably should have been though. <laughs> not sure where she would have been. <laughs> All right. Do any of you, anybody else, have uh, conspiracy theories or nitpicky stuff you want to mention? I have some things, but what what do you think, Zach? 
I my only other conspiracy theory besides that Ebert's review does exist somewhere is that the Burn in Hell band, uh, aka Twisted Sister, looks a lot like Spinal Tap in this movie. I mean, you got like you got like David Saint Hubbins on top of his car, and you got Nigel Tufnell in the background. Like you have every member of Spinal Tap represented in this movie. I guess the question is why didn't they ask Spinal Tap to do that scene? But um, you know, I guess. It's not a conspiracy theory. I just I was reminded of Spinal Tap watching that scene. That's a good call. And they also look like uh, uh, Love Fist ro- rolling down the street away from the the city hall in Vice City. Ooh, with, with blonde hair. <laughs> okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, so the I don't know. So things. Okay, my my only flaw that I had necessarily was that 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 Pee Wee can hardly lift like those five pound weights. But he's got to pick up that anvil again to put it on top of the thing to make his, like, breakfast again in the morning. I, I don't think that would ever work. I, I don't know who he would get to actually pick that thing up again, but, I mean, that seems unlikely. Also, his neighborhood looked a lot like uh, the neighborhood in uh, in the Truman Show. And the Oh, yeah. And the opening of the hedges revealing the bike is pretty much exactly what you would imagine from Batman. And I think that's why Tim Burton probably got the movie is because of how dark he made certain parts of the movie and the unveiling of the bike. And the ending of the movie pretty much inspired the existence of Austin Powers. And I think the 80s were a really great time for biker club scenes like you don't get that anymore but like this and like police academy and stuff there were some yes. great like biker Mask club scene movies with share <laughs> and uh i don't know I, I just think tim tim burton really just like throws everything at the screen in this movie he got two franchises off of this debut movie and I, it's just weird i i don't know i mean I mean, it's interesting, it's creative, but, like, the sequels to both movies are pretty much shit. So, I mean, it, it kind of spoils the originals in a lot of ways, but, like, I mean, obviously people saw a lot from this movie, and I, I can understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good points. I like I like the biker point. Because yes. I, I was thinking about this, it's like, we didn't... Todd, me and you, we didn't grow up on, like, the typical... I feel like we didn't grow up on, like, the typical movies. Like, I probably saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like, 30 times before I ever watched Back to the Future. Yeah. And they came out the same year. Yeah, absolutely. And, yet we, and, and we watched, like, every Police Academy movie ever. Yeah. And then... That but, was, like... But the, that how was many like, other 80s movies didn't we watch? Like, yeah, the Police Academy movies were, like, lullabies to us. Like, we used to... We go... Move through that... that you know, all six movies, like, you know, once a week. I don't think we've ever seen... Have you ever seen the seventh one? The I have, one where they I, go to Russia? I watched it once, like, you know, maybe like five years ago. And, yeah, that, I mean, it's unwatchable. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet, but, yeah. So, yeah, Zach, that was our childhood. Pee-wee wow. and Police Academy. Wow. <laughs> and The Rescuers Down Under. That was, that was the other one that I mixed in at the group. Yeah. Rescuers down under it. That's a good call too. All right, time for LVP and MVP. LVP first. Uh, Zach, I'll go to you first. So, um, LVP of this movie is society because, you know, Paul Rubens is a man, and you know he had certain instincts in 1991 when he was at that adult theater, and um, 
I think I think we unfairly judge him because, you know, Fred Willard did the exact same thing in 2012, and then he went on the Jimmy Fallon show and joked about it, and he was still the voice of the La Quinta Inn commercials. And so I feel like Paul Rubens got screwed over. Obviously, he was great in Mystery Men with all of his farts. He was great in Blow, and he was the robbed flame! of a career in the 1990s because of a little incident at an adult theater, which made a great uh, mugshot. That's true, but I blame society for this. Martha Stewart was put in prison for the exact same shit. I mean, not the exact same shit, but like we blame her in the same way we blame Pee Wee Herman. It's just not fair. And, you know, he was just doing something that uh, really wasn't that bad. I blame society. LVP. I read something like he was done being Pee-wee before he got arrested. Yes, like, he, had, he had canceled his show, Pee-wee, apparently. The show had already ended. Yeah, it had been canceled before he had ever been arrested. But yet, he was... Uh, was he the first star that was canceled? He might have been. I don't know. Um. All right, my LVP, I'm going to go... Uh, I, I don't even really know why he's the LVP, but I just want to talk about him. And that's Andy. Um, just because his his whole point is just to hunt down and get Pee-wee, but he really has no motive to do so. Like, he just kind of shows up, and he is, like, mad because he watched a sunset with his girl, but then later he's not even his girl anymore, or Simone's not his girl anymore, yet he's still hunting him down. And one of my favorite moments of the movie is they come out of the, the dinosaur and it's like, Andy! And he goes, Andy! And I, and I wanted to go, Andy's coming! And everyone just fallen to the ground. That's... <laughs> that's really what I was hoping would come next, and it didn't, because it was, you know, ten years too early. But, uh... But yeah, Andy has no motivation, and, like, he's... he's a, and He should have been biggest douchebag. He easily could have been biggest douchebag. And um Yeah, he does yeah, rip and he a just piece hunts... of that sign. A bone. Yeah, he yeah. A bone up the sign. Public <laughs> destruction. And uh and then yeah, he just chases Pee Wee just to blame someone for his inadequacies as a boyfriend. <laughs> it did look like they were hooking up though, but it was Pee Wee's version of hooking up. It it really was. Alright. Todd, what do you got? Uh so my LVP in the movie is the police in the movie because there's, I mean, they are completely inadequate. The, uh, the firefighter wants to paint Pee Wee as a hero, and the the cop wants to arrest him. And w- when they're at the uh the the scene where Pee Wee unveils the evidence, he he asks a guy who has a, a name tag on, "Are you the owner?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm." You know, yeah, the, I'm. They call me Chuck, and he points at the sign, and he's like, he he tells Pee Wee later, you know, like. Oh, we can't do anything. Just fill out a police report, and then, and, and that's all we can do. And the roadblock also completely incompetent. Like the cops in this movie are completely terrible. They are the LVPs of the movie and otherwise. <laughs> I felt like the guy at the bike shop uh, belonged in police academy. Like he looked like Eric Lassard, or not not Eric Lassard, the 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 son. That comes up after Mahoney leaves. I thought it was well, him. Wait, wait, so which are you talking about? The one that looked like Clint Eastwood that was over Pee Wee, or the other one? Yes, yes, that one. The one that was over Pee Wee. <laughs> that was like he we looked... can't do anything about a missing bike. 
He he looked like he belonged in Police Academy. He That's looked all like Clint. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I can kind of see that, too. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, MVP, Zach. Okay, MVP of this movie is... Uh, well, it, it's, it's really tough to say. I think I'm going to go with... Professor Toru Tanaka, who plays the butler at Mr. Buxton's house. Yes. Because I was looking him up on IMDb. First of all, his name is not Toru Tanaka. It is Professor Toru Tanaka. And <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> he was in some... He was he played the tough Asian man in Last Action Hero. He was Chinese warrior number two in Darkman, and he was Sub Zero in Running Man. And he had quite a career. And um, I I love his scene when he's at the Buxton's house as the kickass, uh, you know, um, butler. And um, yeah, I, I I absolutely have so many MVPs to choose from, but he's the one that absolutely comes to mind first. Uh, that's a good call. I like that one. Um, my MVP, I'm going to go with Danny Elfman. Damn it, Ooh, Terry. Yeah, that's a good one. That's actually a good one. Legitimately a good one. Yeah. Um, this was the first film that he, uh, did the score for. And, uh, and Tim Burton just kind of pulled him out of nowhere. Uh, he was the lead singer for Oingo Boingo before this. And, uh, and he pulled him out to, to do the score and... I mean, when I was when I thought about let's do a deep dive of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the the music started rolling around in my head instantly, and um and because it's it's I feel like this is an iconic score, and he ends up becoming you know a prolific composer that does a whole lot of different stuff, um, and works a lot with Tim Burton and him and Tim Burton really mesh together well. And, uh, yeah, so Danny Elfman is my MVP. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll take Tim Burton just because apparently his movies define my childhood because I, I watched, like I said, three of them were on a continuous loop, and I've seen them all, you know, hundreds of times because that's all I did. And I hit the darkness and the sweetness of his movies are, comp- are perfectly uh, displayed in this movie, and... It's his first one, and he, he got, like I said, it, it spawned two two sequels, and, I mean, it's a... I love the movie. I still do. It's it's one of my top ten of, of 1985, and, and Tim Burton probably is the reason for that. I mean, Paul Rubens obviously created Pee-wee, but, I mean, Tim Burton is the reason why this movie is great. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you look at, like, late 80s, early 90s, those Tim Burton movies, they're, like... Their dark innocence, in a lot of ways, you could you could look at them like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. We mentioned Edward Scissorhands, Batman. I think you could throw Beetlejuice in there too. It's dark, but it's just fun too. So, yeah, that's a good call. I, I had Tim Burton or Danny Elfman, but I wanted to go with Danny Elfman. So sorry, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, we have quote of the day left, and um, Todd, since I took your MVP, I'll let you go first. Okay, so my quote comes from uh, the evidence scene, and uh, he's talking about the pen, and he's like, what's the significance? I don't know! And that is how I feel about this podcast. (laughs) 
think we were going to say the movie, because what's the significance? I don't know! <laughs> oh, that's a great call. That's a good call. All right, Zach, you're next. I have two quotes, quotes of the day. My first one comes from Kevin Spacey as Lester Burnham in American Beauty, who says, I was whacking off. That's right. I was choking the bishop, chef, chafing the carrot, you know, saying hi to my monster. I'm sorry, I had to. Um, but my real quote of the day comes from David Letterman, who uh, apparently Pee Wee Herman was on his show quite a bit, and he yes. said about the Pee Wee character, Pee Wee has the external structure of a bratty little precocious kid, but you know it's being controlled by the incubus, the manifestation of evil itself. I think it's a pretty acute way of describing uh, Pee Wee Herman. Uh, that, that was deep. Mine is nowhere near as deep. That was precious. Uh, my, yeah, my, mine, uh, mine is said by Pee-wee in, in The Dinosaur with Simone. He just simply says, Everyone I know has a big butt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, that, that's like that is the deep. dirtiest line that you never catch as a kid because I, it, it's like every, cause everyone he knows, it's like, yes, but... And that's what he means, but that's not how you hear it. When you just hear everyone I know has a big butt. Yeah. That's why that's my favorite scene. Like, everything it's is so innuendo. <laughs> I should have come up with a great line from Pee-wee's Playhouse, because there's some great stuff in there, too. Um, I know. I know you watch that now with your children, yeah, but I don't. I, I do. I do. It's all on Netflix, by the way. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Check it out. It's, it's actually really good. It's really good, like kid show peewee's playhouse is a really good kid show with several um, oscar nominees on it <laughs> yeah it, it really does essa patha murkison pa- appears in almost every episode no joke lawrence is fishburne she an oscar too nominee? uh she's not an oscar nominee neither is lawrence fishburne is he yeah he is. he is uh yeah, yeah, murkison won uh what a emmy and golden globe emmy or golden globe something like that Lackawanna yeah. blues there you go that was there it. We yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. Classic. Phil Hartman's Woo! in several episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, check it out. All right. Uh, that's our podcast. Um, both these movies that we talked about in this podcast, American Pickle and Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you can find streaming on HBO Max. Um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you can also rent or buy on any streaming platform. We'll be back at you next week. With another episode, until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.